Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hi, so much for being with us tonight on Friends and Fiction, where we celebrate books, friendship, and independent books. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'll be your host tonight. Coming novel book, Towards the Vanishing Stars, which will be out on July 6th. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my upcoming book is called Under the Southern Sky, and it releases April 20th. Hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my holiday novel is A Low Country Christmas. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my holiday novel includes Blue Christmas and Christmas Bliss. And as you might notice, we're missing our Patty Callahan Henry tonight. Um, she is celebrating her son's graduation from graduate school. So we're sad not to have her tonight, um, but she is our, our fifth. So everybody, welcome. This is Friends in Fiction. So tonight we will be joined by number one New York Times bestselling author, Lisa C. And I'm excited to tell you about her in just a moment. But first, we wanted to ask you to join us in a little celebration. And before we start, oh, you know what? I actually already told you about Patty. I was going to tell you why Patty's not here. Never mind. You know what, you guys? This is crazy. I'm um, My power went out, and I'm on the other side of the neighborhood at a friend's house. So I'm all discombobulated this evening. But in any case, um, last week, we hit 25,000 members in our Friends in Fiction Facebook group, which is so incredible for all five of us. Remember, we started back in April with just a few shows, thinking, gee, wouldn't that be cool if a few hundred people join us? And now we've crossed the 25,000 mark. We're in awe, and we are so grateful to all of you, especially those of you who've told your friends and fellow book lovers about us. So we would love to start off tonight by raising a little toast to all of you and the magic of books and friendship that brings us together. And I believe Mary Alice is going to savor, savor a champagne bottle. <laughs> I'm not going to save her one, but I did bring one. Okay. All right, ready? Cheers to 25,000. Um, but that's not all. Uh, Christy, I believe you have something cool to tell us about, a giveaway that we have for hitting 25,000. I do. I am so excited about this incredible giveaway. And so if you win, you will be one of the very first people to get one of our amazing Friends and Fiction jute tote bags. I should have had one with me. I will get one before the end of the show so I can show y'all. But it will be stuffed with 
10 books, half of them written by us and half of them written by our friends and fiction guests, including the amazing Lisa C., who's with us tonight. So to see what's in the tote and to enter, look for the link under the announcements on the very tippy top of our Friends in Fiction Facebook page. Thank you, Christy. And Mary Alice, you have an anthology you wanted to tell us briefly about tonight. Oh, very much so. This is not something that this is sadder. But when Dorothea Benton Frank passed away in 2019, her death really rocked us as readers and as writers. And her departure left a void. So we wanted to do something really special to pay tribute to Dottie's life and legacy as a writer and as a friend. So we got together to create Reunion Beach, and it's an anthology, a really beautiful collection of stories that are set on the beach in the southeast, mostly in the low country that she loved and we love. It features short stories from me, Patty Callahan Henry, Ellen Hildebrand, Adriana Trigiani, and Cassandra King, recipes from Natalie Dupree, a poem by Marjorie Wentworth, who's the South Carolina Poet Laureate, an essay from Gervais Hagerty, and tributes from friends and family. So Reunion Beach is the title of the next beach book that Dottie Frank was going to write. So today it will be a literary homage and beautiful keepsake for all of you and for all of us. It's on sale April 27th, and you can pre-order now wherever books are sold. And that's Reunion Beach. And I, I, it's a very special collection, and I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Mary Alice. It looks beautiful. And I love that it's coming out April 27th, which means you can read Christie's book that comes out April 20th. And then read Reunion Beach, and then be all ready to read Mary Kay Andrews book on May fourth, right? I mean, it's just going to be like May eleventh. Yes, and then bam. And I mean, my goodness, we won't even. We'll have all our books out, and it won't even be June. Well, except for me, my mine doesn't come out till July. Except for yours in July, which is quite a mess. But uh, here's to all the books. And here's to all new viewers out there who read the books. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we're so glad you're all with us. So speaking of amazing authors, tonight we have someone really special, Lisa C., who is not only a celebrated novelist, but also a memoirist, a journalist, and even the writer of the libretto for the opera based on one of her books. I mean, how many guests have we welcomed who've written an opera? Isn't that incredible? <laughs> I think she's our first. I know. Oh, it's so wall. Yes. So Lisa first appeared on the literary scene 25 years ago with 1995's On Gold Mountain, a memoir that traces the journey of her great-grandfather, Fong Si, who overcame obstacles at every step to become the 100-year-old godfather of Los Angeles' Chinatown and the patriarch of a sprawling family. That was the book that was turned into not only an opera, but also a major museum exhibit, guest curated by Lisa herself. And that traveled to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. I will tell you, none of us up here have had that experience with their first book, right? right what are you saying, Christian? I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the research for On Gold Mountain inspired Lisa's first novel, which was 1997's Flower Net, and since then she has not slowed down. Her more recent novels, including Dreams of Joy, The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane, and Snowflower and the Secret Fan, which was made into a major motion picture, 
have honored forgotten stories, Chinese culture, and the bonds between women. Her most recent, The Island of Sea Women, is about the free-diving women of South Korea's Jeju Island, and we can't wait to hear all about it. So welcome, Lisa. Yay! Whoa. Hi, Lisa! Huge congratulations on um, 25,000 people, and I wish I had a here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. Bomb, Lisa. I didn't say this was cheap. Lisa, you mean you didn't get champagne in the green room? Champagne in What is John falling down on the job? Lisa, we are so happy to have you with us tonight. So before we dive into our chat tonight, we wanted to quickly share with you our bookstore of the week. So tonight, our bookstore is Romans in Pasadena, California. As Southern California's oldest and largest independent bookstore, Romans is an institution and a literary landmark. If the store sounds familiar to you, it's because we also talked about them two months ago when Leanne Dolan chose them as her favorite bookstore, too. They're that amazing. We have multiple big-name authors wanting to work with them. They've been in operation since 1894. It's the year that Grover Cleveland was president, Hershey's chocolate was invented, and Coca-Cola was bottled for the first time. So how cool is that? In fact, California... Best year ever. Right, best year ever. No kidding. And Romans. In fact, California had only been a state for less than 50 years at that point, and there were only 44 stars in the flag. So they've been around for a while, and as you might guess, they are an incredibly vital part of the community. And this week, they're offering 10% off books by Lisa and the Fab Five with the code FFHH. The link is on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page. We do hope you'll consider supporting Fromans or another local bookstore, even if it's just once in a while, because you really can make a difference in keeping some of these stores with these amazing background stories open and thriving. So ladies, the holidays always feel crazy, but for me, it's so nice to land in this place of solace every Wednesday night. I mean, I know we're putting on a show here, but once the clock strikes seven and we get rolling, I kind of take a deep breath and relax every night except when my power's gone out. I'm not as relaxed tonight, (laughs) but I normally find solace here because I'm with some of my very best friends. I think that every year during the holidays, taking a little time for self-care is important, but this year it's more crucial than ever. So I would love to hear what you're doing this month at the end of the craziest year we could have imagined to take care of yourself. Is there something small that you've been able to work into your routine and you need to take a breath? Lisa, do you want to start? Uh, the big thing I've been doing is walking, just getting out and breathing fresh air. And I go with my mask, but sometimes I, you know, as long as I don't see any other people, I take it off and just have the air come in and yeah. and I'm also just feel nature. You know, it's just really helped me. And um I take photos with my phone. I look for different you know, I'll, on a on Tuesdays I do a particular walk and you know, one day I'll decide I'm just gonna take pictures of all the orange flowers or I'm only gonna take pictures huh. up or, you know, looking down. I've done a series of pathways and so just trying to just enjoy my neighborhood enjoy nature and especially fresh air when you know most of us are just locked up inside oh that's awesome do you have pretty things to see i mean is it a neighborhood with lots of interesting plants or is there a park or well i'm in los angeles we we have sort of summer all year and but there are seasonal differences and and um I I don't know, you know, I I never get tired of palm trees. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> Neither. Yeah, I love them. That's so true. Christy, how about you? What have you been doing to kind of take a bath? Um, so this is kind of funny, but it's been sort of rainy around here and cold, and so we haven't been doing a lot of our normal outdoor stuff. Um, but so every night, little Will and I have been playing ping pong, which is really fun. And then um, this is going to sound so silly, but we've been playing a lot of Connect Four, and he and like Connect Four, like I just never really thought of that as like. Well, there's a lot of strategy that goes into Connect Four, and he is really good at it. So, I mean, we will have these games that will last for, like, you know, you think of Connect Four as taking, like, 45 seconds. We will have these Connect Four games that last for, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. <laughs> so, I've been doing that. So, it's been kind of fun. And this does not, this sounds like the opposite of what you just said, but... I've been writing something that I just want to write, but I'm not even under contract for. And that has just felt so fun and like, yes. Yes. (laughs) Christy, I have to segue into that. That's what I'm doing. I finished contracts, although a copy of it just landed on my desk. So that kind of put a stop on it. And, you know, we want it tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a blink. But I have a book I've been working on really for 18 years. And every Christmas I pull it out and then I have to put it away because you're under contract. I'm determined to finish it this year. And to me, that's it's crazy. a purification. I mean, that's being amazing. able to, it's, yeah, it's just pure pleasure and it'll sell. But it, if it doesn't, I wouldn't care, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I have, you just want everyone else to read the book. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what you, when you write books, you just write them, you don't write them just for yourself. You want mm-hmm. it to be read. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm doing, which is so self-indulgent and I'm, I just have to confess I love this, it. Time, <laughs> this time of year to not tonight because it's Wednesday night, but otherwise we watch a Christmas movie. I love it. Perfect. It's so self-indulgent. And it's me and my sisters are here and my husband. And we've been doing a lot of um, Dickens classics, which are fun. And, of course, every Christmas carol ever, ever made. But also some of the new stuff that's out yeah. and the favorites. It's just every night everyone gets to pick a Christmas movie. And I have to tell you, it's been delightful. I love that. Yeah, that's wonderful. How about you, Mary Kay? Well, Maps. <laughs> <laughs> and bird watching um we our house is in a in a um pretty quiet it's an in-town atlanta neighborhood but it's um it's um very green and leafy and we we our house sits on an acre with tons of trees and so I've been bird watching my husband puts out the bird feeders and you know we we went all oh there's a Pileated woodpecker, or there's a bluebird. I love that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And the bird count coming up. The Christmas bird count. Mm, yeah. So basically, I'm doing the things that 90 year old family uh, <laughs> do. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I should pick up. If I took up crocheting, it would be the perfect trifecta for old ladies. <laughs> well, if, if it helps, um, no, Noah is very newly into bird watching too, but only because we um, we did a jingle ring with Santa the other night where you get to video chat with Santa. And Santa told him, it was so great. And Santa told him jingle. that the reason, it was great. The reason um, he knew that Noah had been a good boy and was on the good list was because all the birds watch out for his behavior oh. and, and report back to Santa. So that is adorable. We've, we've been very aware of birds 
the last few days. (laughs) So yeah, it's very, it was awesome. So, um, so uh, all of you out there, we're all so glad we, and we hope that this, um, that joining us here at Wednesday nights or on Wednesday nights is kind of something that brings a little bit of, um, joy or breathing room to your life too. We, we like to think that, um, you know, that, that this is a nice gathering place and we're also happy to see you and to know that you're here. So enough of that. I bet you were all looking forward to hearing from Lisa tonight. So without further ado, let's dive in. And if you have questions for Lisa while we're chatting, you can ask them in the comments and we'll pull one or two. So now Lisa, book list called your latest, The Island of Sea Women, stupendous, enthralling and engrossing. Um, I mean, that's pretty great. Right, right. Stupendous. We don't get that all the time. Stupendous is like a pretty strong word. Stupendous word, exactly. Um, So, Lisa, on that note, can you tell us a little bit about what made you decide to explore this story and, and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I was going back now about 10 years. I was sitting in a doctor's office flipping through magazines like we all do when I came across one tiny article, one small pair, one small photo about these diving women who live on an island off the tip of South Korea. And these women for centuries have been free divers. They take deep breaths. They dive down about 60 feet. That's deep enough to get the bends. They stay underwater two to four minutes and they harvest seafood. So they're the breadwinners in their families and their husbands stay home, take care of the kids, uh, do the cooking, take care of the elders, take care of the house. So it, it, as recently as the, late, as the late 1970s, there were still about 40,000 of these women divers. They would retire at age 55 if they lived that long. It's very, very dangerous work. Today, there are only about 4,000 left, and the youngest one is 55. So most of them are in their 70s, 80s, early 90s, doing this amazing work. And so I have been interested in stories that have been lost, forgotten, deliberately covered up, particularly about women. Mm -hmm. And this just fit right in with that. And so I created a story of two friends and what happens to them, you know, how they come together, what happens to them through this uh, living history and in this amazing culture. Oh, that's wonderful. It oh, it's, so it, it's, it's such a such a good book. And I think it's a beautiful story. Oh, it, it really is. And we can't wait to ask you some questions about it and about um, about some of your other work. Uh, it's a stupendous Mary- story is what it is. It is. It is. Yes, in fact, um, <laughs> yes, stupendous, enthralling and engrossing. If I just had to pull three adjectives out of thin air. Mary Kay, did you want to start off with your question? Yeah, I know uh, from your biography mm-hmm. that your great great grandfather emigrated from China many years ago to work on building the Transcontinental Railroad. And your great-grandfather, Fong Si, because essentially the god became essentially the godfather of LA's Chinatown, a story you delve deeply into in your 95 memoir on Gold Mountain. Now, I know you're one-eighth Chinese, but you've said often that you're Chinese in your heart. And so I've also read another quote from you saying, because of how I look, I will always be outside. In Los Angeles, China, you said, Los Angeles Chinatown people know me, but when I go to other Chinese communities or to China, people see me as an outsider. When I go into the larger white community here in the US, people people look at me and talk to me as though I belong, but inside I feel foreign. 
Can you talk a little bit about that duality of being an outsider and then an insider in different cultures and how it's affected your writing? Yeah, what a great question. And of course, you know, whenever I hear things that I said or wrote a long time ago, it's always interesting to sort of look at them again 25 years later. But, you know, I did grow up in this very large Chinese American family here in Los Angeles where I have about 400 relatives. And there are about a dozen that look like me, the majority still full Chinese and then the spectrum in between. And so when I was a little girl, when I looked around me, what I saw were Chinese faces, what I experienced was Chinese culture, Chinese language, Chinese tradition, Chinese food. And of course, that's why I write the kinds of books that I do. But I do look different. And I think that this has really had a huge effect on my writing because um, Actually, I, I want to sort of disagree with something Mary Alice said earlier, that I, when I'm writing, I'm not actually not thinking about sharing it with an audience. It's usually a very personal journey for me, and I, I can never believe that anyone's going to read what I've written. So I, it's very much about sort of what I feel and what I'm wanting to explore within myself. And... I think a lot of my books have really been about that. Like, what do I know? What do I not know? How do I, how do I fit into this culture? How do I not fit into it? And I would say with, from all of my books, the one where that's most apparent, apart from On Gold Mountain, would be The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane, which is looked at adoption from China. And I really thought a lot about these young women, you know, little as babies adopted by families here. Um, some of those families are Chinese, but also, you know, a lot of them are just white families and, and might be in small towns around the country where that child might be the only Chinese space in her family and her class and her school and her church synagogue, um, the county fair. And I really wondered, you know, did they have some of this sort of a mirror feeling to what I have, which is um, I may look like this, you know, I'm, I'm for them, you know, I have a Chinese face, but am I American because of how I was raised? Am I Chinese because of how I look? Am I Chinese American or am I something else? And that's what led to that particular story. So I, I feel yeah. like this background is always permeating my books and that I'm kind of always looking to see where do I fit in? Where do I not fit in? What do I know? What do I not know? What happens when you run out of stories about that, when you figure that out? <laughs> I don't know. It would, gosh, wouldn't that be nice to figure it out? <laughs> wouldn't any of us I mean, figure anything you know, out? We're always, I think, on a personal journey. I don't think that that ever changes. And maybe you have different questions or they evolve. I, I think another theme that's come up in my books over and over again is the theme of forgiveness. You could ask my husband or any, you know, anyone in my family, is Lisa good at forgiveness? And the answer would be a big no. <laughs> so Lisa. I keep coming back to over and over again. And I, I feel like in some of my books, I've kind of tiptoed around it. Yeah. You know, in Snowflower and the Secret Fan, two best friends, bad thing happens, they split apart, spoiler alert, Snowflower dies. And so she can never forgive Lily. So the end is really about atonement in Shanghai girls, two sisters, a bad thing happens, they split apart. 
And that book actually required a sequel, Dreams of Joy, where the two sisters, Pearl and May, do find forgiveness, but they're on separate continents. They have no way to talk to each other. They only see each other on the last page. I won't go through every one, but uh, China Dolls, you know, three best friends, guess what, a bad thing happens. But they never forgive each other, but the circumstances of their lives require that they work together. And so just jumping up to the Island of Sea Women, just I knew that whatever the next book was going to be, you know, whether it had turned out to be about the Sea Women or whatever it was going to be, I knew that I wanted to really look at forgiveness just straight on. No more tiptoeing around. I was just going to dive right in and try to look at it at all these different levels. Wow. It's, and it's so something like that, you know, that's like a personal journey I'm on. Have I gotten there yet? And, and not, not, not so much. I, mean, and I, I, I have a better understanding of it, but I have a funny feeling I might be struggling with this for decades yet to come. Well, one of and, our authors, I think it was Wade, wasn't it Wade, who said... Yeah. Um, that it, all of us, mo many authors, there's one word that pretty much defines yeah. the work. So you you just said it was forgiveness. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting word to choose. And you, that, that, that centers your work. It's fascinating that you say that too, because I mean, I think in the Island of Sea Women, not to give anything away, and you, you did this so beautifully, but in, in the moment where some bad things are happening, it, it seems unforgivable. I mean, I, it, it seems unforgivable. And so I, I was, it's very interesting what you did there. <laughs> no without giving anything away. And I, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's fascinating though, how we were working through our own personal issues through our writing. And, and I, I don't know about all of you, but I feel like I was doing that before I realized I was doing it. Was, was it the same totally. with all of you? Yeah, like, yeah. well, and I can say some uh, something to just to add to that. There were, you know, a few years ago, uh, my publisher bought up some of the books that were out of print and re-released them. And, you know, one day they came in a nice box. They had these really beautiful jackets that they, those books that had those pretty jackets way back when maybe somebody would have bought them. But, you know. <laughs> um, but I started flipping through and I, I don't know about you all, but I, do you ever go back and read your books? Really? Not, you know, I don't. And yeah. so I started flipping through. And what was so strange was I didn't necessarily remember characters. I didn't necessarily remember the plots. I mean, every once in a while, I think, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. But what amazed me was that whatever page I opened to, I remembered exactly where I was emotionally. Oh, wow. And, what, and, and I don't think of my books as being autobiographical, but I could see things like, oh, this, you know, my son had just gotten in trouble at school or my husband and I had just had a disagreement or my, you know, something happened with my mother. And that all of my emotional life had really gone right onto the page and in ways that I had had no idea yeah. at all. And, and um, I, you know, I'll have to hope that my son and daughter-in-law aren't watching right now, but the year that they got <laughs> married, go back and read your books. a lot of, of the sort of angst around a marriage and a big wedding did seep into dreams of joy. <laughs> so I can open that. I think, oh, God, I remember that was, 
That was like right before the shower or whatever oh, it was. that's neat. But what a yeah, cool snapshot yeah. in time of, of yeah. where you were then, mm-hmm. and how you were feeling. Um, Mary Alice, you had a question, I think. I do. Lisa, uh, we had Sue Munkin on the show last month, and I know she's one of the people who really spoke highly of the Island of Sea Women. And to quote her, she said, no one writes about female friendship, the dark and the light of it, with more insight and depth than Lisa C. And then Krista Hanna, who also came on the show, said, quote, what's really remarkable about this novel is the characters, two women whose lifelong friendship is tested during impossibly difficult times. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about why you choose to explore female relationships in all your novels. And has the writing of the books deepened your own understanding of relationship with the women in your life? Yeah. So I am a woman. I write about women. You all are women. I bet most of the people watching tonight are women. And as you all know, for sure, you know, women writing and being published is still, you know, pretty recent phenomenon. I mean, yes, you can go back in history and you have the Bronte sisters and Jane Austen and George Eliot and Emily Dickinson, but it's really not until you get to Virginia Woolf about a hundred years ago that women start to get published. And even today, you know, more men are published than women and men get paid more than women. And And yet women, Women buy 80% of all of the books. So uh, to me, writing about women, I I, I still feel this is untouched territory. It's still really new and there's so much to discover. And so I'm just personally really interested in female relationships, mothers and their children, um, Mm -hmm. sisters, friends. And I particularly, keep coming back to friends, actually, um, because this is a unique relationship that we have in our lives. We will tell a friend something that we wouldn't tell our husband, our boyfriend, our lover, our mother, our children. It's it's unique. And um, whenever you have something like that, where you are opening yourself up, you are completely vulnerable. And of course, some bad things can happen when you're completely vulnerable. Yeah, you're yeah, absolutely right. So I guess what I would say is I'm very interested in female relationships, but whenever I sort of see the dark shadow side of them, that's where I want to go. And, mm-hmm. and you, you do that so well. And it's such a rich area to explore. Absolutely. And it's um, also so hard. Let me just add, it's so hard yeah. to explore because you're putting really painful topics up front and forward. But what's beautiful as the reader is that we all know where that's coming from. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's rich water because it's it's universal. Right. So and true. some of us have had friendships, you know, since we were children that last forever. And sometimes we have people who kind of come and go in our lives. You know, when our kids are in elementary school, you become friends with the parent, with the mothers in that class. Yes. And you know, later on, they kind of drift away and people come into your life. And so it, it's this kind of continuum and it does last throughout our entire lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. Very true. Christy, I think you had a question too. 
I do. Um, I have read that to research your novel, Snowflower and the Secret Fan, you travel to an area of China so remote that you were told you were only the second foreigner to ever visit. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like and what you discovered while you were there? Well, let me just start with, do I look like a camper? No. (laughs) (laughs) So this was, uh, you know, they had a little hotel where I could stay, but I was given a choice. Either they could lock me in the room at night or I had to sleep with the door open. I was the only woman staying in this little place, but I chose to sleep with the door open because I just couldn't deal with the idea of being locked in a room. Uh, You have to eat what they give you. And so, you know, dinner that night is pig penis. It is what? (laughs) Did I hear that right? Now, I'll just say it's, well, of course, you know what I'm going to say. It's not bad. It's, It's just like chicken, only quite a bit more chewy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was an extraordinary experience. You know, when I was there, I got to interview the old, at that time, the oldest living new shoe writers, the secret language that these women in this one remote county of China had invented, used, and kept a secret for a thousand years. And she died about three months later. So I was so fortunate to get to interview her. She had found feet. And so she talked to me about the time in her life before her feet were bound, what it was like to have her feet bound. Um, She showed me how to make bound foot shoes and, you know, the whole process, which um, I did write the whole thing in Snowflower and the Secret Fan and then ended up taking at most of that out because, it, you know, the novel wasn't a book about how to make bound foot shoes. But <laughs> just um, to have those kinds of details in there and to hear them from someone who had lived it was just extraordinary. What I think was one of the high points of my entire life, and I learned so much from her. Oh, what Actually, I hope you do publish some of that information because it's a rarity that you have it. Yeah, I do have a lot of things like that up on my website, you know, and, and um, for, yeah, for each book, I have a step inside the world of, so what step inside idea. the world of Snowflower, where, you know, I'll have videos and documentaries and photographs and maps and all kinds of things like that. So people can, you know, do extra exploring wonderful i'm so glad we got that out so we can all visit yeah well and it's such a it's such a perfect thing to visit now when we're all stuck at home and we're craving that kind of travel and exposure to the outside world so yeah lisac.com it's fantastic i would i am not creating pig penis though i'll just tell you exactly you don't have to do that at home just they didn't tell me what it was until i'd been eating it for a while Oh, no. like, oh, like I went home. I went home with my college roommate who was Chinese, and uh, I didn't know I I didn't know I was there for Chinese New Year. And um, her mother gave me this soup and said, "You have to, you have to drink this. This is good luck." And I'm like, "Well, what is it?" And my my roommate said, "I'll tell you later." And it was bird nest soup. Oh, right. Okay. Which yeah. was quite a del- And this was the real thing. Um, and but that's a real delicacy. That's your right. Delicacy. It was a very, it was a big delicacy, and it was an honor that they were sharing that with me. But when I found out what it was made out of, I was like, Arr! "Wow, that's you know." Yeah. Some of the things that we think of, you know, that we think of in other cultures make us right. squeamish. 
those cultures look at some of the things that we oh, sure. oh, you know, how could anybody how eat peas? You know, that's like in China, so historically, they didn't eat any, you know, um, kind of dairy products, right? And, um, you know, they the way they looked at it was like, why would anybody eat something that's made out of cow mucus? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. <laughs> I think my biggest challenge is when we were in China, we had to eat. I ate insects for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I like to try things and they were crispy. I mean, they were, they were, they didn't have a whole lot of flavor that I remember, but they're supposed oh. to be very high in protein. I just don't yeah. know if I could do that. I'm just not sure that I could. And it's just like you say. I mean, it's just what you're used to. It's just yeah, a cultural exactly. thing. But it's cultural, it's yeah. It's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you all know, I've been working on this book set in um, in the the wilderness of Eastern Europe in World War II. And obviously, when necessity calls for it, also, you eat things you wouldn't have right. expected. Right. So, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Lisa, there's a question we ask every guest we have here on Friends in Fiction. And I'm especially interested to hear your answer tonight because I know your mother, Carolyn C., was a celebrated writer, too. So our question is this. What were the values around reading and writing in your house? growing up and how do you think they influenced your future writing career well gosh there's so many ways I could answer that one is that you know my mom was in graduate school when I was little and so she would read to me what she had to to read for her classes and so things like I, I mean I even remember this I was about four years old when she read to me the old man in the sea was my bedtime story oh my god so I was reading you know, being either read to or reading myself all the time it was hugely important in our house but I think what I got from my mother and you should know my her father was also a writer wow Wow. And so I'm the third generation. And many years ago, actually, when I was working on On Gold Mountain, my first book, um, I looked up my mother's papers that are kept at UCLA in the research library there. And I found a letter that her father had written to her when my mom was about 18 years old. And and she, he said, you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to write a thousand words a day. And I that's something I grew up with. I mean, it was something my mother always said to me. It's something I still do today when I'm actually writing. It's a thousand words a day. I keep a little note. Uh-oh. How many words? I think that the, the it was sort of a combination from my mother and her family of the love of reading, the love of words, um, the love of writing, but that it had to be a discipline. And then on my father's side, they were unbelievable storytellers. I mean, they just, they used to try to one-up each other all the time with these, these unbelievable stories. And my dad is an anthropologist. So you can really see I'm kind of a combination of, of the two of them, you know, on the one hand, the writing, and on the other hand, anthropology. What an incredible heritage to grow up with for, for both sides and just this Such rich tradition. Completely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So um, we've had a chance to ask our questions. And I know Mary Alice had one, but um, actually one of the live questions we got is the one you were going to ask. So instead okay, of, yeah, so actually maybe we'll start then tonight with the live questions. Christy, did oh, you want to pull two live yes, questions? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, 
So Penny Moyer wants to know, Lisa, what is your next book and do you have an expected publication date? Now that can be kind of a loaded question. So just say what you can or want to. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a complicated question because yeah. I have written a novel that's based on a diary that was written by my great grandmother who was born on a homestead in South Dakota. The family continued west, homesteaded again in Washington state. It was supposed to come out in um, March of next year. Then it got pushed to June. Then it got pushed to the fall. And now we're looking at 2022. So I'm kind of just setting that over here for a while. Wow. And I've just started doing research for another book to kind of break things up. And uh, we were all talking about this a little bit before we went live, the complications now for doing research. You know, I can't go to the places that I would ordinarily go and certainly not this year, not next year and not likely for the year after that. So I did pull this down to show you. So I was just um, fiddling around on my shelves the other day and the spine of this kind of caught my eye. You know, we all buy books, don't always read them. But it was um, Reproducing Women, Medicine, Metaphor, and Childbirth in Late Imperial China. And I thought, well, I'm going to pull this down and take a look. I get to page nine, where they started talking, where the author started talking about a woman, a Chinese woman doctor from the 1400s. And she was, and here's the thing she wasn't the first Chinese woman doctor there, but she was the first woman doctor to write a book. And I actually have it over there. And she wrote about taking care of women. And oh, so, wow. just, and, yeah. yeah, I was just like, ah. <laughs> so I, I pulled this down on a Saturday. Uh, that afternoon, I ordered her book. I had it the next day. And so since then, you know, it's now been about two weeks every day. I'm just reading about um, women's health, but in particular, all the stuff that has to do with reproduction, you know, and, oh, and wow. what they did in those days and how they looked at birth and how they looked at pregnancy. And it's just fascinating. It's yeah. just incredible. And to think oh, that she's yeah. doing this, you know, she was born in, I have it on, on a little post-it right here uh, <laughs> where I've been keeping track of all of the different em emperors who were alive oh, yeah. in her lifetime. Yeah. So she was born in 1461. Oh, and she published this book right when she turned 50, which I yeah. love. Just so do love. I, 50 years yeah. old, 1400s. And she, lived, and she lived to be 96. And one of the commentaries about her, is she must have been a very good doctor to have lived to be 96 in that time period. Well, you have to right. promise right. us. Lisa, you have to promise us that if you find out any special things she ate or did yeah, to live to be that old, you'll share with the rest and, of us. And unless it's pig penis. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> penis. Soup. I mean, one of the things that's sort of, I don't know how much all of you know about Chinese herbal medicine, but yes. you know, a yeah. lot of the remedies that are used today do go back about a thousand years. Oh, and so some cool. of the ones that she used, she has recipes for them are things that are still used today in Chinese herbal medicine, which is just amazing to me. I had an incredible experience with Chinese herbal medicine. It was something that Western medicine just could not fix. And I went to a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner and it was 
the most unbelievable thing that's ever happened. So you just, what they were doing (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of years ago, sometimes it's still the best thing. It was incredible. What yeah. a great basis for a story. Um, I know, it's sort of a you know funny thing like walking by and it kind of jumped out at me. That's how it happens. That's what genius yeah, is. It is. It found you, and that's um, why we say you can't. You can, someone can't say well, you write about this. It yeah. has to make you. You almost have yeah. to discover it. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you did. It's amazing, Mary. Mary Kay, you had a reader question. Yeah, this one is from Marianne Fitzgerald, a high school media specialist in Annapolis, Maryland, who recently enjoyed your new book as part of the One Maryland, One Read program. Yeah. Isn't that nice? And she would like to know, who in the literary world would you totally fangirl over and why? Well... I think it would have, first of all, I'm so glad you joined in. The Maryland project was so much fun for me. I really enjoyed it. You know, that was supposed to be a live tour and I was supposed to be in Maryland for about a week, but like everything else, you know, it was canceled. So it was all done virtually, but we ended up, you know, seeing as many people virtually as they ordinarily have in person. So I was really happy about that. Um, I think the one the one person would be Wallace Stegner, and I love Angle of Repose. It's still one of my favorite books. And in fact, for On Gold Mountain, I used as the epigraph a couple of lines from Angle of Repose. I don't have it memorized exactly, but I'm pretty close. It's um, fooling around in the papers. My grandparents, especially my grandmother, left behind. I get glimpses of lives close to mine. I'd like to live in their clothes a while. And I didn't realize when I used that for On Gold Mountain that that would be something that would inspire me all the way to today in my writing, that I just want to live in their clothes a while. And mm-hmm. and as you all know, as writers, you know, sometimes you're an observer, but sometimes you just want to be in those characters when you're writing. And, that, and so again, that's inspired me all the way to today. And I would love one, you know, he's he's gone, but um, that would have been someone I would have loved to have met. Oh yes, and just to see, because he, you know, he did. I don't know that people classify him as a writing historical fiction, but so many of his books really were. And so how he approached that, um, what he felt was valuable, what he chose to use, and what he would discard, that would that that would be a really meaningful conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Mary Alice, you had a reader question too, I think. Yes, our friend Anissa Joy Armstrong says, I believe this beautiful book, The Island of Sea Women, was very research intensive. So how long did the research take? And I'm just going to add, in that research, what was your most surprising discovery? Uh, So each book takes me about two years. The majority of time is spent on the research. The writing is actually the least amount of time and editing is somewhere in the middle for me. And, uh, you know, I I spend time in research libraries. I talk to scientists and academics and, you know, researchers. But the main thing was to go to Jeju Island and to interview these women. And I was you know, particularly looking for women in their late 80s, early 90s, women who had lived through this unbelievable length of of 
history, a very dramatic history in on the island. And uh, I don't know, there were so many of these women who I just loved, but one of them, I remember as I approached her, just she was sitting on the beach, gathering and sorting the seaweed that had washed ashore overnight. And as I approached, she shouted out, I was the best Henyo. Henyo is sea women. And I, I was, they all say that, you know, they all like, oh, I was the best. No, really, I was the best. I was, and there's like a whole hallmark about them, how they brag about how they're the best. But she, she may have been because when I went to the Henyo Museum, they had big photographs of her in the galleries. They had a documentary about her that ran on a continuous loop. Anyway, there was this one point when she leaned forward, you know, confiding. She said, you know, I was so good under the sea, I could cook a meal under there. Oh, my gosh. And I was just like writing that down. Like, this is, yes, like, that line. <laughs> and so it is something that in the novel, Jung Sook brags to the other women. Now, did you have an interpreter, Lisa? I actually had four different interpreters wow. and they, they, one, I thought of as being kind of the official interpreter. She was with me when I, you know, met with the governor of the province, when I to met the head shaman of the island, oh. then another one who, um, a young girl who, uh, a student who was with me when I was interviewing the women on the beach. And there was this really sweet thing that kept happening with her. Uh, so these old women sitting on these little cushions, again, sort of sorting in the algae and seaweed that's washed ashore. And there would always come a moment in the conversation where the woman would say to this girl, oh, could you hold your cell phone to my ear? Shouting, because their ears are really damaged by being under the water. But could you hold your cell phone to my ear? I need to call my son, my grandson, my nephew. You're so pretty, and he's looking for a wife. <laughs> I have photos of that on my website, but I also used it in the opening scene. Yeah, I um, love that. And that's how Young you know, kind of gets yeah, rid of, of course people to have this girl call. And then uh, another woman who was the first woman in her family to be educated. Mm -hmm. And so she became on all people as repound. And she took me to meet her mother, who was 93 at the time. And her mother was um, the daughter of Japanese collaborators. Oh. So, wow. so a lot of that interview and a lot of what had happened to that woman did kind of yeah. go into Mija's story yeah. in the novel. And then I, I guess, so they, you know, these different interpreters had sort of different purposes and what I think is great about that, because I've, you know, had to have interpreters for a lot for all of these books, is that in, I never want to have someone who's like a professional, because you, when you have someone who's like a young woman, in that one instance, um, she she had this very sweet way of talking to these older women, and would you know I'd say like oh you know what were the traditions around childbirth and she, Oh, I could never ask that. I thought, we'll just go ahead and ask. <laughs> what, what, was, what about like the first time you had that? Oh, no, I could never ask that. But then when she would ask it, she would get these fabulous answers. And so they, those, yeah. the, to have something that's more colloquial yeah. and yeah. instead of kind of official UN. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's, it's so valuable. 
Absolutely. Oh, I love that. So Lisa, one of our favorite parts of our weekly show is receiving a writing tip from our guests. And of course, as we were just talking about, you write these just beautiful, well-researched novels. And I know we're all dying to hear what you have to say. Would you mind sharing a writing tip with us? Yeah, my number one writing tip is the one that my mother passed down and my grandfather passed down, which is to write a thousand words a day. And at the end of a week, you'll have 20 pages a chapter. If you can only write 500 words a day, you'll have at the end of the week, 10 pages, at the end of two weeks, a chapter. Um, But the other thing I would say, because I'd already talked about that one before, is to be passionate about what you're writing. I always say that this is, you know, writing a book, it's more like a marriage. It's not a one night stand. You're in it for the long haul. And there's so many ups and downs, as you all know, of, of, with writing and publishing. Mm-hmm. And it's, if you're really passionate, again, it is like marriage. You can weather those ups and downs yeah. that happen in the writing, that happen when the book comes out, that can happen 10 years later when you're still talking about a particular book. So to just be passionate and remember, you know, you're in it for life. You're, this is a, it's a, it's a marriage, not a one night stand. That is such a good way to put it. Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. So we have a few announcements, but do stick around because we have one more question for Lisa at the end. So Christy, can you remind people about the bookstore of the week, please? Absolutely. So our bookstore this week is Romans in Pasadena, which as Kristen told us earlier, has been open since 1894, which is just unbelievable. They are renowned for their excellent customer service, extraordinary staff, extensive inventory, and wide range of gifts. And this week they're offering 10% off of our latest releases and leases with the code FF. H-H. And we just wanted to remind you, especially when you're doing your shopping this holiday season, to think about your independent bookstores and the local stores in your community. Um, there was a recent poll conducted by the Small Business Majority, um, and this is a really sad statistic, but more than a third of small business owners reported that their businesses were unlikely to survive past the next three months. So when you're thinking about making your purchases this year um, from your independent bookstores or you know anywhere in your local community, it's so important that you know we really do support those places. Um, and we really can make big changes when we do. Awesome. Thank you, Christy. Absolutely. Mary Kay, can you remind everyone about our YouTube channel and our podcast and what we have in store this week? Yeah. So many of you have asked where you can find the previous episodes. And we know it's it's a little bit tricky finding a, uh, the previous episodes on Facebook. So we have launched our own YouTube channel. We are not doing TikTok dances. Don't look for it. <laughs> <laughs> but why not? <laughs> well, you guys go ahead. Yes. We're not doing them yet. Yeah. Yes. Never say but, never. Uh, <laughs> the, the YouTube is where you can find our shows dating back to the end of May. You can also watch our weekly shows live there. And the, you'll find the link on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page under Announcements. And we're, since we're on a mission to dominate the world with literary <laughs> magic and sprinkle happiness and, and bookiness, we've also launched a podcast. Until now, it's been an audio replay of a live show. So if you miss an episode or you want to hear one again while you're walking, it's a great way to catch up. But beginning this month, we're debuting, debuting original podcast-only content, interviews you won't hear on the show. So subscribe now to hear our very first original content podcast. And there'll be plenty more of those to come. The first one um, 
Kristen and I did with two book influencers. Yeah. And you won't want to miss. I, we think it was. We think it was good, right, Kristen? I think we did okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know y'all were amazing. I can't wait to hear. It. Have Everyone will have to tune in and find out. And I think that drops on Friday, right? I think that's Sean said on it was stupendous. Word of the day. Baby <laughs> engrossing. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you, Mary Kay. Yeah. And Mary Alice, can you tell us about our holiday ugly sweater party next week and how oh, our viewers wouldn't. can take part in the fun? I wouldn't, I'm looking forward to it because next week is Christmas week. Gasp, I know. And we actually pre-tape the show, which is why we know for sure you're going to love it. <laughs> we all put on our ugliest possible Christmas sweaters and special points went to Christy. And <laughs> You will see why when you see this. It can be good or bad, really. <laughs> you'll have to do it and see. You get to. And you'll hear you'll get to hear about our favorite songs, our favorite memories. And you get to meet Meg, who's our managing director, and Sean, who's our behind the scenes producer, aka audio whiz, aka rock star and cabana boy. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> and this week we encourage you, please. When you come to the Friends and Fiction page, post a picture of yourself in your ugly Christmas sweater. Join in the fun. So that's next Wednesday. And it will post at the usual time, which is Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Friends and Fiction page. But even though we're not going to be there live, we will probably be watching it with you. So we'll be <laughs> there. Absolutely. And um, and yeah, I, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to beat Christie's mm -hmm. ugly sweater. So you're really going to have to up your it's game. Worth everybody. Coming just to take game on, worth, yeah, yeah, game yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> and we want to see all of your ugly sweaters, too. We so do. post those pictures. Absolutely. All right. And now one more question for Lisa. And this one comes to us from a viewer. So Sheila Calabrese asks, Lisa, do you plan to ever write another mystery like your early book, Dragon Bones? I don't know. I mean, I sort of tinker around with that a bit. And I actually, you know, just now doing the research on this woman doctor, one of the things that I've learned is that in ancient China, that the only people who performed autopsies were midwives. And so I could almost see, I mean, you know, a midwife is not a doctor, but I could almost see sort of working something in. And the reason is that um, you know, for those of you who've read Snowflower and the Secret Fan, you know that the butcher is considered dirty in, in um, sort of Confucian thought because he gets blood on his hands, literally, but so too do midwives. And so they had this very low status, but so low that they were kind of the coroners of their time. And I, 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 I can see this kind of working in my brain a little bit. Oh my gosh, Lisa! Yeah, I, I feel like we could talk to you for hours. You have Me so too. many fascinating, I have so many things I want to ask you. I come and play with you guys every week. That's how I'm feeling over here. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so deal. So we'll just make it the Lisa C show. So everyone yeah. tune in all of 2021. I just want to be a little box, and I'll just, I'll just tune in. I'll have you go find Maybe she can respond to questions on the Facebook page because so many of our viewers. We'll have some more questions. Yeah, but, you know, Lisa, we would love to have you back again sometime. We'd love yeah, talking you. to you tonight. Oh, and one last... Fun. 
Well, it's oh, an incredible honor. I'm just uh, to be in all of your presence. It's just wow. Oh. We, we feel the same way. Yeah. We're all in awe of you. So it was so nice to have you. And one last reminder to all of you out there to read The Island of Sea Women, which is beautiful, unforgettable, and what, stupendous? Was that the... Stupendous. The, oh, stupendous. stupendous. Lisa, thank you so much. Happy holidays. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. Thank you, Lisa. Thank, thank you. you, Lisa. Thank you to everyone. <laughs> oh. Okay, oh. so we are so glad and grateful to all of you out there for being with us. That we're so happy you've chosen to spend some time with us tonight. So happy holidays! We will see you next Wednesday at seven p.m. for our ugly sweater holiday office party, right here on Friends and Fiction. Everyone have a wonderful night. That's a good wrap. night. Good night. Happy Christmas week. Yeah. Aww, you guys, she was so great. Oh, she was so good. I seriously, I, I had so many things that I wanted to ask her. Um, Me too. Especially about like just this matriarchal society. That's not what you call it. What's yeah, the society it's called? A, it was a matriarchal society on the island. Yeah. It, it was just so fascinating to me about how it's like every stereotype that we've ever had is just completely flipped on its head. And the things that well, men are so sensitive. You can't tell them that. Or, I mean, it just, it was fascinating to me how everything that we associate with masculinity, they associated with femininity. I just, yeah. I loved that. It was really yeah. cool. And, the, and she does write about the dark side of women's friendships, too. And she writes yeah. so honestly about it, I think, in, in, in a number of her books, which is, and again, it makes you, you resonate to it because we're all, we are women and we know those feelings. So I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I always, when I was listening to her talk about Asian history, I it made me want to go back and Write, write that Asian novel that I've been wanting to write for 35 years, you know, maybe, maybe. Because uh, just all those rich differences. Yeah. And I'm sure you write historical fiction, you dive into the surprises. Yeah. But with a million things just go off in your brain. A million Which, possibilities. It, it's so true. But, you know, I feel like what she's doing is really extraordinary. Because, you know, and I say this as somebody who writes World War II, but, um, and I think there are still so many stories that we haven't heard about World War II. Right, yeah. but, but she's writing things that, we're not hearing about you know what I mean like it's it's it really is a way to immerse yourself in a world that you really you know but yes. many of us have no familiarity with which I think is just yes. so cool and she does such deep research it's amazing like you know that what you're getting on the page is truly an insider look at, at you know you know and how she write wrote about um was talked about how that one young girl got the best answers and you just yeah. know when they're coming you know yeah. and that's any time in history when you're writing a book, you know when you're getting the good stuff. That is so you know, true. That, that one sentence that you're going to put in the book. That yeah, is so that, true. That idea that just is like a lightning strike. That's I think it's interesting that um, so much of the historic fiction being written about World War II, you know, for years it was... Um, uh, well, not just that, but it was also, you know... Nazi occupied France. And now you're seeing a trend, as Kristen knows, we're going to um, Eastern Europe. And, uh, but I wonder, you know, it's interesting to me, there's not so much written about the Pacific theater during World War II, historic fiction. Not yet. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of a, it feels like it might be a, 
open. It could be a rich, uh, a rich vein to mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so oh, I yeah, I was wondering if she speaks um, and reads Chinese, and if she reads Mandarin or Cantonese. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she and I will just have to team up and write a uh, <laughs> write a World War II novel together, right? <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um, well, great, you guys. I have to get out of the oh. hair of my my lovely yes. neighbor who's let me sit at their dining room table. I'm so for the glad last you made it. Yeah. So good. <laughs> now, oh my and goodness. Thank you all for being so flexible. Uh, Christy was going to take over hosting duties, so thank you for being willing to jump in, and thanks for letting me do it after all. It's a good. It, it's so funny though because I. I feel like there's always it's there probably been a few times when one of us needed to be out like patty was yeah, tonight yeah. and every time one of us has needed to be out another one of us has had like a major catastrophe at the Remember last the, minute Karen yes Slaughter. i was hit with my daughter yes yeah. yeah, absolutely yeah well listen i don't know who's baking cookies i'm, I'm guessing uh mary Kay is going to be whipping up magic in her kitchen yes. but have a great christmas week have a great yeah. time yeah. Yeah. Bye. Merry christmas. next week okay bye everybody yeah. have a nice bye. night Thank you, you've been listening to the friends and fiction podcast be sure to subscribe to the friends and fiction podcast wherever you listen and if you're enjoying it leave a review you can find the friends and fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye! Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.